You're listening to Program Notes for the Florida Orchestra's Huff Family Foundation Masterwork Series. I'm Andy Tafelski, Social Media Manager of the Florida Orchestra, classically trained percussionist, and the host of this podcast. In this episode, I will be talking about Selected American Spirituals, Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring Suite, and Antonin Dvorak's Slavonic Dances, so you can dive deeper into the music anytime, anywhere. These audio program notes are authored by Kurt Loft, a local writer and former music critic. You can find his full transcriptions at floridaorchestra.org. Let's dive in. Selected American Spirituals. First on our list is Aaron Copeland's Simple Gifts. This is a program about the American language, says Michael Francis, music director of the Florida Orchestra. And our language translates beautifully into musical form. A shining example is the Shaker Melody Simple Gifts, an iconic tune famously woven into Aaron Copland's 1944 masterpiece, Appalachian Spring, and published six years later in the first set of Old American Songs, along with The Boatman's Dance, The Dodger, A Long Time Ago, and I Bought Me a Cat. Simple Gifts on this more intimate scale takes on the recitative quality of an opera aria, sung free of strict tempo markings. The lyrics are modest and unadorned. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where you ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where you ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love. Jubilant Sykes, guest baritone who sings in two TFO performances, says, For me, it's about the true simplicity of life, and that this simplicity is a gift. Against all the profound things in life, the passions, death, and sickness that we all face, the song has taken on a new meaning for me. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. The music of those enslaved throughout America's history is an indelible part of our cultural legacy. Today, a standalone repertoire, but one that fueled the sounds of gospel, jazz, and blues. Whether religious or secular, these often anonymous songs spoke of hope and longing, belief and despair, resignation and resistance, which together offered solace and helped preserve the dignity of displaced community. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Although many of these traditional spirituals evolved as sacred hymns, others were practical, serving to synchronize the efforts of slaves working the fields under back-breaking conditions. Still others were born as entertainment, sung to accompany whatever simple instruments might have been available. Slave Songs of the United States, published in 1867, was the first and still the most important collection of these spirituals, and many are widely sung to this day. One of the best known is Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, which has woven itself into the American psyche in countless interpretations over the past 150 years. The song describes the pain of a slave being torn from his or her parents, with the word sometimes repeated as a reference to hope. Historically, these slaves had no mother, father, sister, or brother because they were taken from their homes, says Sykes. It has such a plaintive melody and the lyrics are about life and how sometimes it can be unbearable, the loneliness, the madness, and darkness of it all. 
but it also means that I am never really alone. That's what the song for me is about. Were you there? Were you When they crucified my Lord. The song Were You There was first published at the end of the 19th century in a book of plantation hymns and describes Jesus on the cross and how his suffering continues to transform people today. Charged with pathos and reverent feeling, with only a single line added to each successive stanza, its message is to be grateful for his sacrifice. To further evoke Christ's anguish, the song repeats the word tremble a dozen times, and no two performances are ever the same, evident in countless interpretations in popular culture, including those by Johnny Cash, Harry Belafonte, and Willie Nelson. It's a very old spiritual, and I first heard it in the sixth grade, Sykes adds. It asks, were you there when they crucified my Lord? It asks, would I have done this to this man who had such love in his heart? Witness. In the a cappella song Witness, the singer describes a slave's faith in a higher power. Marvel not if you want to be wiser. Repent, believe, and be baptized. Then you'll be a witness for my Lord. Soul is a witness for my Lord. Aaron Copeland, 1900-1990, Appalachian Springs Suite, performance duration approximately 35 minutes. With his 1944 ballet score, Appalachian Spring, Aaron Copeland became the most respected, serious composer in America. After experimenting with avant-garde styles, Copeland had found his voice, at least one that comforted a public growing tired of academic formulas. Appalachian Spring was a breakthrough. He knew the rigorous music of the new generation of American composers would alienate audiences and further push composers from mainstream culture. I began to feel an increasing dissatisfaction with the relations of the music-loving public and the living composer, he once wrote. It seemed to me that we composers were in danger of working in a vacuum. Moreover, an entirely new public had grown up around radio and the phonograph. It made no sense to ignore them. Copeland acted on his promise, producing a string of works that embraced his public. El Salon, Mexico, A Lincoln Portrait, Rodeo, Billy the Kid, Quiet City, and what has remained his signature piece, Fanfare for the Common Man. But it was Appalachian Spring where Copeland set his most assertive tone, as its spacious and agreeable harmonies, delicate suspensions, and tunefulness captured audiences wherever and whenever it appeared. The music resonated across America, like few works of its day, and not surprisingly won Copeland the Pulitzer Prize a year after its premiere. He composed the full ballet for Martha Graham's Dance Company, and it tells the story of a young couple living on a farm in rural Pennsylvania in the early 1800s. The farmer and his bride share their hopes and fears and Copeland's clean, open scoring adds to the aura of the outdoors and nature. The first 50 measures, all in the key of A, lend a tranquil quality to the music, along with spare textures, an absence of thickness and exotic coloring, and above all, a refined sense of clarity throughout. These same neo-primitive qualities permeate Copeland's opera, The Tender Land. Originally written for 13 players, it was first performed in a small hall at the Library of Congress, the piece is most often heard as a suite, 
not unlike the symphonic excerpts from Bernstein's West Side Story. The most famous moment is the old shaker hymn, Simple Gifts, introduced on the clarinet and taken up by the rest of the orchestra in a masterful set of variations. It's one of the most important American masterpieces, says TFO music director Michael Francis. It's Copland's acceptance of the necessity and beauty of our American language, because in the language of a nation you find meaning. In that sense, it's a glorious piece of art. Antonin Dvorak, 1841-1904, Slavonic Dances, Opus 72, performance duration approximately 40 minutes. Before radio, records, and television, composers made money by writing music amateurs could play at home, usually a family with a piano and a few hand-me-down fiddles, by crafting a simple arrangement for keyboard or string trio, having it published and sold in music stores, a composer could pick up enough cash to feed a family and pay the few oil bill through winter. Antonin Dvorak knew this as well as anyone. After the success of his pivotal Moravian duets and his first eight Slavonic dances, Opus 46, which he arranged for four hands, piano, as well as orchestra, his publisher Franz Simrock encouraged him to write more, which would become the Slavonic Dances Opus 72. With the first two works in his back pocket, Dvorak went from unknown to renowned. Shortly after Simrock printed the duets in 1878, Berlin's National Zeitung newspaper noted how it led to a positive assault on the sheet music shops and made Dvorak a household name in the course of a day. The composer soon found himself besieged by requests from publishers and concert halls, and within months, the second set of Slavonic dances was being performed across Europe, England, and the United States. Certainly, not all the credit can go to the now-famous Czech composer. If it weren't for encouragement and support by the incomparable German master Johannes Brahms, Dvorak might still have been working in his father's butcher shop outside of Prague. Instead, he followed his musical passion and today ranks among the most performed composers in the world. Loved for his New World Symphony, Cello Concerto, American String Quartet, and a plethora of other original and accessible works. These magnificent creations may not have been born if not for Brahms, who saw such potential early on and took it upon himself to edit Dvorak's often sloppy scores. He also gave the young composer the nod in a career-making music competition that soon led to a lifetime engagement with Simrock. Not easily impressed, Brahms realized the seemingly unlimited inventiveness of melodic materials, uncanny sense of time and duration, and the dazzling sense of musical lines. Such glowing words describe the Opus 72 dances, completed in 1887 with a deeper, more introspective feel than the rhythmically jubilant earlier set, fueling the energy our diverse folk dances from Eastern Europe. The set is sometimes listed in the order of 1 through 8, but you also might see them as 9 through 16 as a continuation of the first set of Slavonic dances. TFO music director Michael Francis says, In the Slavonic dances, he looks at music from the Ukraine, from Serbia, from Bohemia, and writes these amazingly virtuosic, glorious dances, which would be an amazing celebration of the Florida Orchestra. It's also one of the greatest showcases for an orchestra. Some of the recordings in today's podcast were borrowed from the Florida Orchestra archives, including Copeland's Appalachian Spring Suite from our 2015-2016 season, Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man from our 2020-2021 season, and Dvorak's Slavonic Dances from our 2012-2013 season. Thank you for listening to Soundwaves with the Florida Orchestra. Enjoy the concert.